Paceline is produced by the Cycling Independent with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Emlin Robot-Lewis, Shingleheimer Schmidt. Uh, each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Uh, dude, uh, I am pleased to report that I am not pink and cooked and sunburned. Yeah, uh, I, you have just returned from the Sea Otter Classic. Ocean Beaver. Sea otter, yes, as it's known, and I understand. I have never attended this event, being an East Coast person, um, but I understand that it is a place where you can both sunburn yourself beyond recognition and freeze to death at the same time. Um, depending on what the calendar says, yes, I've. I don't think I've ever both been sunburned and hypothermic in the same trip uh oh i i i don't think um that would have just been the worst ever um this year was remarkable i commented several times daily um that it was the best weather i'd ever experienced at sea otter because it was just cool enough that you could wear long sleeves and protect yourself from the bright bright sun um Mm -hmm. But it was also, you know, not 50 and raining sideways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was there, you know, and there was much rejoicing. Um, yes. Um, and, you know, holy cow. I don't see how, but somehow it's a little bit like the, the pylons in Land of the Lost, where they were bigger on the inside than they are on the outside. And. Every year I show up at Sea Otter, they've managed to find new places to put additional booths. I'll talk about that more in, when we get to my poll. Uh, All right. There was a lot to see. <laughs> it's yes, it's remarkable. But yeah, I'm 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 jumping uh, a firearm of some sort. Jumping You're the gun. Jumping a. F- Oh, jumping the gun. I see what you're doing. All right. All right. Bad Patrick. (laughs) It is well and firmly spring here. Is it that so there? Well, I don't know what spring is. Uh, Maybe it's spring. Maybe it's spring. Uh, Maybe it's not. Uh, It was 43 and rainy this morning when I went out to ride. (laughs) And that seems to like we had a week where it was like, oh, it's it it's sort of even summery. We had one week of that. And then since then, we've had uh, gonna rain every day and pretty raw. Mm. Mm. Uh, it's still April here and, you know, April showers and all that. Uh, so maybe that's where we are. But. Yeah. I, it, do, it doesn't feel very spring like most of the time. 
that's a shame. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, in the process of like starting to put some of my cold weather gear into boxes in my closet. Uh, cause it doesn't need to be out anymore. Those neoprene yeah, gloves. I would, yeah. I don't think I'm going to need those. That's what I would like to do. I like to, um, you know, there's the, um, putting away of the winter and ski gear, the winter sports stuff. And then shortly thereafter is the winter cycling stuff. But that stuff is all still out because it's been raw. I mean, you know, I run warm and I don't feel cold very often. Uh, and that's true, but it's been raw and really cutting. Oof. Oof. Yeah. yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's what I recall of New England spring, something that is essentially non-existent. Hmm. Yes, that is what we were dealing with. But, you know. Well, let's jump into your poll. Yeah, so I now have two events behind me. The 60-mile gravel race I rode, uh, what, weekend before last. And then I, I ran uh, a trail half marathon last weekend. Uh, those were six days apart. And so the combined effort of training and then at least nominally competing in both of them was a lot. Um, and now I feel happy to have a bit more freedom. Uh, and, you know, uh, not surprisingly, my fitness is pretty good. Mm, envy. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I can understand that. Um, lest any of what I just said come off as braggadocious. Is that that's not a word at all? Oh, it, uh, it, it, it is me, around these parts. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I'll just say I won nothing. Uh, <laughs> I didn't threaten to win anything. Uh, these were for me events of completion. If I competed at all, it was against myself, a scenario in which, logically speaking, I am both the winner and the loser. <laughs> None of that is the point, though. Um, I don't commit to events easily. Um, I, I prize my freedom. And what I know is that every event requires training. So it's not the day of you're signing up for. It's everything that comes before. Uh, and that can be daunting. Mm -hmm. When I envision all of that, sitting there with my mouse sort of hovering over the register button, <laughs> in my mind, I have to do it all myself. Right. Like I'm committing to a lot of work. OK, this turns out not to be right. And the two events I just finished reminded me of that. Um, I came up for a name for this and uh, uh, let's call it the Ringo principle. Uh, <laughs> the right. idea that even faced with big physical challenges, uh, we might get by with a little help from our friends. Oh, I see what oh, you did there. Oh, God, you are Fired, John. Um, in fact, that's exactly how I ran that half marathon after the gravel race, uh, whose completion was also reliant on the friends who'd signed up with me. Uh, the morning of the half marathon, my wife asked me if I thought I was ready. And I said, well, all I really have to do is follow Megna around for a few hours. Uh, <laughs> Megna is my is my trail running BFF. Mm hmm. Uh, she's fit and fast and has loads of motivation. She loves to run. Uh, if I'm not ready to wrap my mind all the way around whatever big race we're doing, I know I can just run on her shoulder until it's over. <laughs> um, I might suffer. I might suffer a lot, actually. 
but everything gets easier if I know I just have to sit there, like riding a compassionate wheel in a gravel race the weekend before. <laughs> um, and I don't know whether there, it's some facet of introversion that means when I think about tasks, things I, both things I want to do and things I don't, I only ever think of them in isolated terms. Uh, that is to say that, that I have to do all the training and I have to race the whole race. When in reality, I've never achieved anything alone on the bike or off. There's always been someone pulling me along uh, or at least trading pulls. There's always someone who has solutions when I have problems. And I wish I could remember that um, when I think about the stuff that I want to do. It would make all the big rides and hard efforts less daunting. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you do you have this at all where, um, you know, you're like you're going to Wente this year. Mm-hmm. And you're going to try hard when you're there. Probably. You're going to try somewhat hard when you're there. <laughs> uh-huh. And how does that feel? Is it daunting? Is it sort of like intimidating? Well, yeah, but, you know, let let us observe that um, your fitness relative to who you have been historically and my fitness relative to who I have been historically kind of radically different um you know you're at least somewhere near a, a, an acceptable baseline for yourself uh i accept that yes yeah an acceptable baseline i'm near it yes yeah, yeah. uh how's that for softening the punch um i i i could probably have thrown another qualifier in there um but my my point being that i am feeling uh still frustrated that due to travel and some other factors like being a dad, um, I'm just not getting as much time on the bike as I would really like. And there's more Patrick than Patrick would like. Yeah. Um, so like, uh, even before I get to Wente, I've got the same format of event at Boggs demonstration forest, uh, in early May. So first weekend of May, eight hours. And so that is going to be a day where I just go out and do laps for as long as I can. I'll probably take a, a break between each of the laps, recover some, eat some, drink some. Um, and I'm just going to take the whole day to do however many laps I do. And then whatever mark I hit, if that's four or five, whatever, um, my hope is that when I get to Wente a month later, I'll do one more lap than that. Mm. And I think that uh, given what my fitness is, I'm better off leaving the uh, the goals pretty loose. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, these two events I just did... The gravel race, I hadn't ridden 60 miles of dirt yet this year, so <laughs> I thought, well, just finish it. Mm -hmm. And and obviously, in finishing it, you go out and you try to keep yourself uh, chilled out uh, for the first half anyway. Mm -hmm. um, then you're 30 miles from the finish and you think, okay, well, now I can... Uh, I can express myself in whatever way is left to me 
Yeah. Um, and the same thing, the half marathon was two six and a half mile loops or six and a half plus miles, whatever it was. And so we ran the first one and then we said, okay, now we go. Mm. Um, and so it's, you know, we, you and I both have the ex- enough experience with doing this stuff that we say, okay, if we keep our powder dry this long, then we can find out if there's more. And even if we're just trying to complete it, we're trying to complete it, but also give it what I would call ra- the honor of race day, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is it's not a training ride. You're not sandbagging because there's no reason. This is the event. Yep. Yep. Um, so I, I do get that. And I think so I think it's like keeping modest goals, but also having some ambition within the day itself. Yeah. Uh, I, I very much resonate with that. Um, and you know, during seasons where I was more fit, you know, getting lots and lots of miles and going to road events, um, you know, very often I could show up at something that was, you know, long, a century, maybe even, uh, you know, a century plus and still set goals of like, well, I'd like to be under this time, or I'd like to shave this much time relative to last year um and that's you know that's good fun um it it can help you know spark some of the effort um but you know a lot of times just going to the event and being there and seeing the stuff and bumping into friends and whatnot that's that's more and more that trumps everything else for me I think that's right. I think that's right. Like I I went to the race, whatever, week and a half ago. And I was just trying to do a race again. Mm -hmm. You know, just get back in the pack. uh, Just get back with my friends. Just get back to that thing, that ritual. Um, And what happens, happens. You know, like it went well. If it had gone less well, would I still have been satisfied with it? Absolutely. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, because I the point of it was to be there and do it. Right. If no disasters happen, then, you know, it was kind of a success. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I, at the same time, and I guess what I what I'm realizing and I thought about it, I went out with uh, my neighbor, who's a, a great friend of mine uh, this morning and we rode for a while. And um, he has been sort of my most persistent riding partner over the last decade. And. You know, we just, just having, I could have done the same ride on my own and it would have been less intense, less good, less, less in so many ways, but just by going along with him, which works for, uh, what is today a Wednesday morning or an event, it's the sort of the same, Mm. um, it's easier and better with that friend along. Well, you know, there's there's the the truth bomb, isn't it? it? It's better with a friend along. It is almost always. I do have some great solo ride experiences, but I think the most reliable um, contentment delivery mechanism is to go along with a friend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The the ride of the immortals, which was probably the hardest single event I ever did. Uh, that's the one that you cross the Sierras. You start at one side, you climb up, you cross the Sierras, drop down the other side, get to the Kern River, turn around, come back. 
Right. Um, uh, also, um, probably the silliest event I've ever done, if I'm uh -huh. honest. Uh, a buddy of mine, Peter, uh, he stayed with me on the climb. Um, I was pretty cooked by the heat low down when we started climbing back up. And he stuck with me all the way up the climb and most of the way back across through Kennedy Meadow, all of that. And only when I had gotten like my second flat of the day on my way to my third flat of the day, that is, I told him to just take off. He was pretty close uh, to the start of the descent back to the start. And I was like, you don't have to hang out with me while I fix this. Go ahead and get going. But uh, it was, you know, when the day wasn't really going that well for me and he stayed back to be with me, that was the best stuff ever. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, if I can find a friend or two to ride with when I get to Boggs and then when I get to Wente, that would be pretty stinking awesome. I will see lots of people I know because we're, we'll be doing laps, but it's not quite the same thing. Right. Yeah. 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 So, um, I'm not sure if that little, little nugget of truth was really where you were going, but, um, that's, that's my reminder for today. Yeah. Yeah. Send some texts, make some <laughs> connections. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. It's funny how the it's it's very funny how you say you're short of base miles, but base miles will happen if someone else says, "Hey, we're riding." Oh, here we go! Another little nugget of truth. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I um, I've just been having a, a running conversation with someone about how I need to make a greater effort that way, and it's been tough. Yeah, yeah, um, it is tough. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I'm counting my trip to Sea Otter as base miles because when I tried to ride on Monday afternoon, my legs would barely turn. It's like, well, I'm fatigued. Therefore, I must be getting stronger. Must be. Yeah. At least my feet are no longer sore. But <laughs> more on that in a minute. Uh, we're going to take a break for our sponsor Shimano and we will come back. The Paceline is underwritten by Shimano North America. That means they help us pay for software and hosting and the M&Ms in our dressing rooms. Shimano are also nice enough to let us talk about them in our own voices and from our own experiences. For example, I did a lot of research on Shimano road wheels when I was putting together complete bike packages when I was at 7 Cycles. We turn to Shimano wheels because they're rock solid, affordable, and readily available. The wheel market is full of fantastic options. Shimano's wheels often fly under the radar. You should really check them out. They have killer carbon fiber wheels at the 105 level now, the C32 and C46. And of course, if you're shooting for the stars, you can get the C36 and C50 at Altegra and Dura Ace levels. See them all at road.shimano.com. Okay, we're back with the pace line, the podcast on two wheels. What's your pull for us this week? Well, as I've already telegraphed where I'm going, I spent three days last week in Monterey for the Sea Otter Classic. For some years now, I've been going for three of the four days because Sunday sees such an enormous crowd that trying to talk to marketing or PR people is next to impossible. 
uh, everybody on hand is just so busy dealing with all the consumers. You know, I get it. So I've learned to try to get as much done as possible on Thursday and Friday. And then I leave Saturday as my mop up day. Um, yep. And it's not a bad system, except for the fact that this event keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, it is, yep. for the record, the largest participatory cycling event on the planet. That's so crazy. That, yeah. Yeah. And so that probably makes it the largest one in the universe. Um, I mean, that and it's hard to get to. Like Monterey isn't just. No, <laughs> no, it is out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It you know, it's not directly off the one one. It's nowhere near the five. Um, yeah. Uh, it's it's not an easy drive, no matter where you are. And there is yeah. an airport, but it's tiny and you're going to have an ugly long layover if you decide to fly into there. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be some crazy layover somewhere. Yeah. Um, but it is pretty. There is that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've been there. And uh, good grief. It's just chock full of wonderful people. Um, so compared to last year, the presence of e-bikes has gone up at least threefold. I mean, this is a completely unscientific count, but just based on the rate at which I saw e-bikes around, it seems like three times as many e-bikes were there. There were brands like Bulls, Denago, and Gas Gas that make nothing but e-bikes. So they showed nothing but e-bikes. And like Bulls, I don't know, I think their their space was 20 by 30? Uh, or no, more like 20 by 40. It was, it was a big tent they had. Um, yeah. And then, you know, for the first time ever, there were companies showing off e-bike motors and batteries, you know, no bikes at all, just here, this right. is going to be in it. Um, and in that regard, it reminded me of some of the uh, Taiwanese events that I've been to when I've been in Taiwan, where they have this outdoor demo area and uh, everyone present is better served by speaking Mandarin. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, that was kind of a, a new experience for Sea Otter. Um, and, uh, you know, now you not only have to worry about people riding mountain bikes through the expo, but you had to worry about people riding e-bikes through there and they tended not to be going as slow. Not my favorite aspect of this year, but part of the gig. Um, and I, I tell you, it's like every time I go, I think, okay, they've maximized the amount of space that they can possibly put stuff in. And uh, then they find new places to put tents. Um, so now, like this year, there were some tents backed up right to the, the racetrack um, where previously they hadn't put any. Um, they may have shrunk the bank of porta potties to do that. I don't have a super clear memory of that. Uh, and I'm not going to go in inspecting my old photos. But I mean, seriously, they're doing all they can to shoehorn more companies into there. Um, this was my first opportunity to get a look at SRAM's new transmission. Uh, so I was curious about why they were making the move and what their people explained to me was that in order to improve shifting uh, for their rear derailers, the best way to do that was to eliminate the derailleur hanger. Uh, mm. This from the people who I just praised for the UDH. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, the universal derailleur hanger for those of you playing along at home. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Um, and it's it's just funny to me that what they said was, well, that was just an intermediate step toward our our bigger plan all along, which was just to eliminate the derailleur hanger so that they could better control the interface between axle, cassette and rear derailleur. Yeah, they'd been hearing complaints from consumers about, well, why doesn't my bike shift better? And when examining the the brand of bike in question or the specific bike in question, they were finding that, you know, there were tolerance issues that they just weren't in control of. And that was affecting shifting performance. I, how anybody could have much shifting issue with a SRAM drivetrain is a, a matter for something, some other occasion, because I'm this stuff works great. I don't see how somebody's having a big problem with it. But maybe I haven't been on, you know, the bike in question. Well, I thought what you were going to say is that the hanger was slightly bent, because what I see quite a lot with people, especially if they have uh, gear skipping at the high or low end, is that unbeknownst to the rider, the hanger has bent ever so slightly. There is a lot of that. There absolutely like, is. Yeah. Yeah. Not visibly like you can't look at it and say, oh, your your hanger is bent, but it doesn't take a lot of movement or degree for that to have a negative sh uh, effect on your shifting. But go on. Yeah. True stuff. Um, so when I asked, I mean, the big question to me was, you know, there's this big metal structure. Uh, we will run a photo of this uh, on the site so people can see what we're talking about if they haven't already been to the pink bikes of the world. Um, you know, there's this big metal structure uh, and I wondered how it would fare in a crash. And they showed me how the rear derailleur can turn backward pretty freely and easily and also push inward um, thereby hopefully moving out of the way of anything that might otherwise break a driller hanger. And I got to say, it's a remarkable design. And I think I'm going to get to write it pretty soon here. Um, I spoke with some folks about that. Uh, it's, it's a really interesting step in drivetrains. And I'm curious to see what else it leads to. Mm. Um, so yeah. And I, and also it's like, if this improved shifting, it's like, I, I was already completely pleased with SRAM shifting. So it's like, well, what's that going to be like? And I, all I can do is think of the analog of the first time I got on a Shimano bike equipped with DI2 as opposed to standard Durace. And it was like, oh, that is a faster shift. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got to look at Shimano's Diori XT Interglide group uh, that was released this past year. Um, I think in the fall, something like that. I hadn't gotten to see it in uh, up close and in person yet. So this is a new version of Diori XT that uses an 11 speed cassette rather than 12, which is now the standard. Um, and in taking a page from the GRX playbook, um, it's meant to offer greater durability over traditional XT. Which is saying something because that is the single most durable group that Shimano makes. Um, so it's ideal for riders who don't devote much time to maintenance. Um, you know, dads, uh, moms, <laughs> people like that, um, as well as EMTBs, uh, which put a good deal more wattage into the drivetrain if they're running on a mid-drive motor. 
because all that extra wattage goes in at the chain ring. Right. Um, there's a DI2 version that uses the e-bikes battery for power. Um, I'm told that it's rather complicated, um, like almost impossibly so to uh, install on an e-bike after the fact that it's the sort of thing that bike needs to ship that way from from the assembly factory. Um, uh, Also, Shimano introduced a new line of components called Cube. Um, This is budget oriented stuff. It'll offer eight, nine and 10 speed options. Um, and the idea is that a shop will be able to, uh, keep some cube parts on hand and it will have broad compatibility, uh, across, uh, different component groups and whatnot. Um, how they're doing this, I don't know because not all derailers have the same pull on them, et cetera. Uh, but there will be, you know, a rear derailleur, a front derailleur, um, cassette shifter, um, but it's all being branded cube. It doesn't actually say Shimano on it. Um, hmm. yeah, but the big thing there, it's supposed to be really affordable stuff and broadly compatible. So that should help shops in terms of what they need to keep on hand. Affordable and compatible are good words. We like those words. Yes, we do. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. The folks at Oro case, uh, who make one of the cooler travel cases going, introduced uh and this is going to sound crazy when it comes out of my mouth here it comes they introduced a modular reusable cardboard box that can be expanded or shrunk so that it's no longer than necessary no larger than necessary to ship a bike um i know a guy getting excited about a cardboard box it's (laughs) you know it's uh People are shaking their heads at me. Um, I'm surprised you're not shaking your head at me. Well, I have shipped bikes. Yeah, I think I think that is the key. You know, like once you have shipped, if once you've tried to pack a bicycle uh, and reckoned with its strange shape and dimensions, uh, suddenly. Yeah, yeah. Well, and if you've ever packed a bike in a box and noticed that there was like six inches of box that was unoccupied. And then you got to the UPS store, wherever, and they take out their uh, tape measure. You're realizing, oh, I'm paying for air to be shipped. Great. And it's like 40 bucks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, yeah, as, a, as somebody who has traveled with a bike in a variety of different ways, this box is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but such is life with bikes, right? Yeah. Um, muck off the bike cleaning and lube outfit showed off a nifty little device that will hide an Apple air tag. Guess where? I couldn't inside a mountain bike tire inside inside. Yeah, it attaches the, the thing attaches to the valve, uh, All right. the, the tubeless valve. Um, and it just managed to stay out of the way. I don't know what this does to the balance of the wheel. Like if you're going to feel a little. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, but the crazy part is the guy who invented this upon installing it on his bike once invented very shortly thereafter. I mean, this is almost suspiciously uh, coincidental, but the fact remains. His bike was stolen almost immediately afterward. <laughs> 
he had a, an Apple AirTag installed at the bottle cage and the yeah. thieves figured that out and removed that right away. And it uses uh, Apple's Find My app. Um, yeah. It's not actually GPS. And um, uh, so he was able to track it thanks to other Apple devices in the area um, and contacted the police and long story short, got the bike back because they had no idea that there was an Apple AirTag inside the tire. I mean, I can't see the future, so I believe this is it. Go on. (laughs) (laughs) Being the nerd that I am, I got very excited by a new repair stand that Feedback Sports introduced. Uh, the something, something pro it's strong enough to hold an e-bike. Um, and I commiserated with their marketing director, Zach, who is an old friend about all the ways that I've struggled to keep a frame at the right angle in the stand in order to bleed the brakes. You got to make the bubbles move, right? Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, sometimes like, oh, well, I'll, I'll put just the front wheel end Uh, the front wheel in to keep, you know, this end up, or I'll put just the rear, you know, I'll put no wheels in all the stuff that I've done. And I looked at that. And the funny thing is the way they had it displayed um, was, you know, a mountain bike at an angle tipped up, you know, the front wheel tipped up and you're just like, oh yeah, my, my stand would not hold a bike that heavy at that angle. No, how, no way. Right. Yeah. Um, they also have a, a cool little uh, ratcheting torque wrench set. It's got to be the smallest torque wrench set that I have ever encountered in my life. Perfect for going in a saddlebag. You don't need anything bigger than that. Yeah, it's it's remarkable. Of course, I've got one and a review of that will be coming in a future episode as well as at the site. FSA showed off the latest version of their K-Force Wii electronic road group. And I got to say, it keeps, you know, with each of these little revisions they're making, it gets better and better. Um, And the group is available, you know, with disc disc brakes now. And uh, the the lever body didn't grow. It's really, uh, it's, it's ergonomically pretty nice. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I know it's, you know, they're one of the companies trying to kind of break into the complete mm-hmm. group market. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder, I'm very curious about that, what it takes, whether they uh, hatch some sort of OEM partnership uh, so that they can get more parts out into the world for humans to see and ride and feel. Uh, uh, anyway. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, OEM spec will be the thing that determines its future, of course. Right. right. Yeah. Um, on the kids bike front, I saw two things, actually more than that, but there are two I'm going to talk about at Prevelo that I really liked. So the company is now old enough. I find comedy in this. The company's old enough that their earliest buyers, the early adopters are now tall enough to need mountain bikes with 26 inch wheels. You know, sure. They started with 20 inch wheels and I think maybe some 16s. And then they started offering 24. And this is the year <laughs> they're now up to 26. Um, they've also started pushing suppliers to make levers and shifters for a 19 millimeter clamp diameter to go with their bars and grips. 
A 19 millimeter clamp diameter is better suited to small hands. And uh, Jacob, the owner and CEO at Prevelo, says he's hoping that he can actually convince other companies making kids bikes to adopt this as a standard. Um, mm. I think it's really cool. Um, yeah, I was I was very excited to see that. And, you know, I remember looking at uh, Philip grabbing his first handlebar when he was three and you know his hand only went like halfway around the grip uh so this is not a small thing that he's doing it, you know so often uh this is a complete aside so often we see people who are not uh not of the bike industry come in and decide all y'all are stupid we're gonna f- we've got this figured out we're gonna show you how it's done and then completely louse it up uh speed x leopard yeah. there's a great example yeah Jacob is an outsider. He's an attorney. He is not from the bike industry. But unlike so many people, he hired a bunch of very smart people who already worked in the bike industry to work with him. And, you know, after taking their initial input, he's wrapped his head around the kids bike issue in a way no one else on the planet has. I can literally point to to Jacob Rubin and say, this is the smartest guy in, in kids bikes on the planet. Hmm. Uh, nobody's come close to what he's trying to do. And that's sort of tragic. What I think is interesting here, so I have um, older teenage sons, and they've reached an age where banks and credit card companies are like, oh, we need to get these these (laughs) people into our bank and our product soon, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because they know that people don't switch. Like, once you have them, they're in your, you know, like... Unless you really screw it up, they stick with your bank or your credit card or whatever. I like the pre-velo model in the sense of like, well, I've always ridden pre-velo. And now I ride like a, you know, a 29 inch or a mullet downhill bike that they make because that's the that's the angle of growth for his company. But, I, you know, I'll be curious to see if he takes any additional steps wheel size wise after this, because I think after the 26 Riders will be ready for 27.5 without any great difficulty. But making I mean, that does jump he, for... Go ahead. Does his company become Velo at that point? No longer pre-Velo? <laughs> now, you're, now you're mid-Velo? I don't know. Uh, I, it, it, he is certainly somebody to continue to watch. That's, that's for sure. Um, I like it. You know, and when anybody talks to me about kids' bikes, I just go, well, visit the pre-Velo site before you do anything else. Um, I, I really like what he's doing. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that jump from 24 inch wheels to 27 and a half, not an easy one to make. So it's easy to make a good use case for the 26 inch wheel, uh, mountain bike for smaller people. But fortunately the top tubes aren't short and the stems aren't long. Right. (laughs) Right. Ah, um, let's see what else. Um, Oh, I saw a bunch of new tires. Uh, of course, Panaracer has some new colors. They've got kind of a golf blue and an orange, um, which mm. certainly must have made some heads melt. Um, I certainly want a set of of the uh, tires in orange for my Danucci. So I'll be I'll be ordering a set of those uh, pretty soon here. Um, also, American Classic had some good stuff, and Michelin sported some new rubber that I liked a whole lot. And uh, returning to the nerd theme, I got completely rabbit holed at Jaguar 
the the cable and whatnot maker. I got rabbit hold at Jaguar. That's a T-shirt. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they, go, they should get on that. Go on. What yeah. did you see there? Well, they've got some great tools, uh, including a zip tie cutter that will grab the cut remnant of the zip tie as it cuts so it doesn't fall to the ground. It cuts the zip tie flush with the catch. Um, and then, yeah, the little cutter grabs the cut portion. And so you can then release it into your hand and put it in a trash can instead of having it drop to the to crawl floor. under the car to get it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And uh, they they had a, a bleed kit uh, with little valves on it instead of these silly clamps that pinch the hoses closed. Um, mm. And so I got pretty worked up about a bleed kit. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's silly. Oh, and one other thing I'll mention, I'm not ready to do a review, but I, um, I encountered a, a bag brand, Sidero. Um, and, oh. uh, they do uh, a variety of different frame bags. If you can see this, it's a seat yep. bag. Um, yep. they do, various sizes of seat bag and they do frame bags and they do bento boxes um, and they do them in plentiful colors. They do a waxed canvas. Uh, so I'm thinking this is going to be easier to clean up than some things I've encountered. Yeah. Um, and they offer them in purple. So uh, I've got something for my number 22. Now I've been looking for the right bags and uh, <laughs> i Plunked down my plastic when I saw those. Uh, I took time out of my busy, busy day to buy something for me. So I like it. Yeah, purple. I didn't know you were a purple bag guy. I well, I I kind of backed into it by virtue of the fact that I have a bike that fades from gold to purple. The gold bags didn't quite match, or at least they didn't seem like they would match. But the purple looked like, yeah, this is gonna work. Purple bags and orange tires. Okay. Yeah. Who are you? Uh, we've got a crew working on that currently. I, I live here in New England. Do they have gray? <laughs> Black like your heart? Yeah. Um, <laughs> they, you know, truly, they had a huge selection in colors. Um, yeah, they're, they're doing good work. It's all handmade in Minnesota. Um, oh. And since it's Minnesota, they have a long winter where they can make an awful lot of stuff. Yeah. No riding. You're just bag making. Yeah. Well, since we're talking about gear, let's move on to Paceline Picks. Good. Um, so many listeners uh, and readers uh, will know that one of my enduring gear preoccupations is with gloves. Uh, and as we are not yet to know glove season, which I also enjoy the most, I'm picking the Giro D&D full finger glove today. Um, the Giro D&D is made with a, it's like a four-way breathable stretch mesh. Uh, it's got reinforced fingertips for durability. Um, the, mm -hmm. uh, I, I, uh, have done a lot of testing on the ability to use your iPhone or your phone, whatever your phone is, uh -huh. a touchscreen with the fingertips and they, uh -huh. it works. Um, and they've got, um, some, some crash pads in the palm. Uh, which is nice. Um, yeah. They are a good, durable glove for all your kinds of bicycle riding. 
Um, they are slightly heavier than the Pac so- Savants, which uh-huh. I love quite a lot. I learned, so I went over to my friend Chapman's house, who is a, a gear nerd par excellence, and he has a gear line in his basement with gloves going from lightest to heaviest. He, ha- he has organized his gloves in his basement from lightest to heaviest? Yes, they're hanging on a line. Above, like in the area where he like gets his helmet and his whatever. Uh, so that on the day he can look at the temperature and the conditions and just find somewhere, wherever on the line is the correct pair of gloves. Wow. And uh, I like that a lot. So um, I forget what the really light Giro glove is that I like so much. Super light. Minimalist. I mm-hmm. want to have as little glove on as I can, as is right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of like the super light Giro's, then the Pox Savant, then these DNDs that I'm picking. Uh, that's how it goes. Mm. And from there, you're moving into like a midweight shoulder season. You know, yeah. you really need more warmth at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are 25 bucks from Giro and come in 15 different colorways. Holy cow. Uh, some Including of those are purple. on. S- <laughs> There are purple in there. Um, some of them are on sale for as little as $12.50 right now at Giro.com. Uh, that glove also comes in sizes from extra small to triple XL. Wow, that's what, seven sizes? Yeah. Wow. Uh, there's literally something for everyone with the Giro D&D. Uh, if you want, you can even go to my friend Steve Knievel's site, which is allhailtheblackmarket.com. And get a pair of D&Ds of his own custom design. Uh, ah. That's where I got mine. Uh, and we'll give links for both uh, the Giro uh, site and his site in the notes. Cool. Well, my pick is um, sort of environmental. I spent three days in bright sun last week. I mm. was outside from 830 to 5.30 for three days in a row. And today, as we observed at the beginning, I'm happy to report that I'm not pink, or worse, red. Uh, So my pick is the Sun Bum SPF 70 sunscreen. 70? 70. Uh, It doesn't doesn't smell bad. It smells pretty good, in fact. Um, It doesn't stay greasy on your skin. Does wash off hands easily with even a mild soap. And provides plenty of protection for people who are mm, too busy to reapply the sunscreen every two hours like they're supposed to. I think I managed one reapplication the whole weekend. I think that was on Thursday. Um, so, yeah, it, I I didn't find time to do what I was supposed to do. Um, but I'm not burned. And I'm impressed. I've been using this stuff for the last year. Um, I bought this particular tube I'm using at Sea Otter last year because I forgot to pack some, and it has proven to be one of the better one of the better sunscreens I've used in the last year or two. Um, and I have a veritable inventory of different sunscreens because sometimes I forget and I'm out and I buy something and you know you've got that sweet Irish tan as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, now I just get age spots instead of freckles, mm. uh, which are 
I, I think H spots are just bigger freckles. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. They hurt uh, inside. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. So uh, it comes in a six ounce tube and wasn't expensive. And I got mine on sale, so I'm not going to say the price since who knows what it's priced elsewhere. Um, picked it up at CVS. You know, on the tube, they say it's vegan, but I don't suggest trying to eat it. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a curious claim to make on something that smells good because, you know, humans are. If you've ever taken a if you ever licked some chapstick, you'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And I I get that it's you know, it's about manufacturing standards that it they weren't mean to anything as they were making it. But still, yeah. There's got to be a more appropriate term for that than vegan. Um, it just, that cracks me up. Uh, all righty. That's a wrap on another episode of The Pace Line. What do we got coming up later this week? Um, another episode of The Long Way Home? We do have one of those, uh, which I have recorded. I hope it's not terrible. Uh, <laughs> everyone, let me know if it's terrible. Uh, so we have that. Uh, again, we have a backlog of reviews we've got to get through coming up, um, and the usual stuff. Uh, my piece uh, on writing with Dave Stoller, uh, Dennis Christopher. Uh, yeah, that is up tomorrow, today. This the same day that people are getting this. I forget uh-huh. when that's running or whether it's already out. I forget. Uh, so by the time they hear this, they should be able to click on a link on that on the site. Absolutely. And we have we have a piece about the Rivendell garage sale. Yes. Yes. Uh, I missed out on that based on my friend's experience there. I really missed out on something very amusing um, and probably lots of fun as well. Yes. Sure. This is where we ask you to subscribe. If you haven't already, go ahead. Click that button, please. Uh, send us some questions. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments um, or any of the other ways that we can be reached. Also, if you haven't already, please check out our other podcasts, Revolting, which lives up to its name in some ways, but is highly entertaining and features John and Stephen Knievel of All Hail the Black Market um, and uh, our other new podcast, The Long Way Home. Uh, It features written work read by the author. And as I like to say, it's more audible than fresh air. Uh, Maybe consider leaving a review wherever it is you found us. It makes it more likely other people will listen in. Constructive criticism also accepted. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line. (laughs) 